turning points, moments in life when the decision that was made completely changed the trajectory of your life. Today, Shane talks about turning points in his life and the significant impact they've had on not just his spiritual life, but also on his secular path. I hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome to the Thy Neighbor podcast, conversations with everyday people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am your host and occasional solo caster, Tracy Robbins King. If you are inspired by this episode and someone comes to mind as you listen, share this with that person. If you have benefited from the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. Your ratings, reviews, and shares make a difference and allow this podcast to reach more remarkable people like you. Shane Murphy is a disciple of Jesus Christ. He is also the proud husband to Catherine Murphy and his two rambunctious and energizing boys. He is also the CEO of Boostly, a company designed to support the restaurant industry via text marketing and feedback tools. He has a long list of accomplishments. His company was recently backed by Y Combinator, the top startup accelerator in the world, which has funded companies such as Airbnb, DoorDash, Stripe, and many other big names. His disadvantages in life have given him a hunger for success and a drive for greatness. Above all, he is proud of his role as a disciple of Jesus Christ a father, and a husband. I hope that today's interview will shine a light on the spiritual aspect of Shane's life and how it has impacted his business life. Have a listen. Shane, what is something that most people don't know about you besides what I said in the bio? So I'm a big fan of Wim Hof and the Wim Hof method. It essentially combines like deep breathing and cold exposure and I don't do it as much as I'd like, but every time I do, it's like super clears my mind and it's helped me like push through natural, like physical and mental limits. And so that's something that not very many people know. I I love the Wim Hof method. So will you tell us what the Wim Hof method actually is? Yeah. So there are kind of three core pillars to it. There's deep breathing exercises where essentially almost to the point of hyperventilation, you do these deep breathing exercises in sequence, and then you do long breath holds, and then you just continue that that process. And then you also do like cold exposure. So things like cold showers, ice baths, putting your hands in ice, and then just different like exercises to like push you mentally past uh, your normal limits. Wow. Well, that sounds like something you would like, Shane. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> uh, and tell me how your childhood was unique. I guess it's it's, it's interesting because some people will find it unique and some people might resonate with it to different degrees. You know, I think for the most part, I've tried to block out a lot of my childhood because it, it wasn't the most pleasant. And I think a lot of what made my childhood unique was just our family, you know, wasn't this full of love family that, you know, was always together. 
life circumstances brought us to the point where we were always kind of in survival mode. Um, my dad didn't really work. He said he was self-employed, but he's just a day trader trading stocks and uh, he was not good at it. So there were a lot of financial challenges that, that we had and that really impacted our family in a lot of different ways. You know, my mom was super, super awesome. She was always working two jobs, trying to make ends meet. You know, she was up at like four o'clock in the morning, getting ready to go to work. She'd come home at the end of the day, totally exhausted and just headed right to bed. And so, you know, she wasn't around much. My dad was like there, but not emotionally at all. After a time, it was less like we were a family and more like we were just roommates. And that caused a lot of relationship issues down the the line. There was a period where when I was a teenager, you know, my brother and I really wanted to get out of the crappy situation that we were in. And my mom signed, you know, a lease on an apartment. My brother and I went and lived there for a bit and just kind of like worked and made our way until my mom later divorced my dad and she came to live with us. But since we were really so poor, we just had to figure out how to work, how to make things happen. And it it was a hard childhood, at least from my perspective. But when I look back on it, there were so many skills and things that I learned that really I'm super grateful for today. And it really was a testament to me that God can take our circumstances and he can really consecrate them for our gain if we let him. One of the the characteristics or character attributes that I know, Catherine, and I'm sure this comes from you as well, is that you tell, I often hear her say to Matthew, well, that's gritty. That was a gritty thing. Like you, you have grit, you know, she'll tell him you have grit. And I want to know how you guys got to, de- to deciding like that was going to be a family value to have grit and to develop that. I don't really know how it became a family value just <laughs> other than like, it's really a big part of our makeup. And it's one of those things that like we look back and we say, this, these are the types of things that we want to teach our kids. And, you know, we learned them growing up in ways that we don't want our kids to have to go through those types of things, but we want them to learn what we learned through the hard, hard times. And grit is one of those. I think that's really what it all stemmed from. And how do you instill the character trait of grit in your children? A lot of it for us, you know, our our kids are, you know, five and eight. So we're kind of teaching at the the age that they they're in, but it really is this thing of like, hey, I can keep trying. I might not be succeeding or accomplishing what I'm setting out to do, and that's super super frustrating. And we want to give up, but we we kind of have this phrase of like, I have grit. I keep trying, and we just reiterate that over and over again, and it's turned into a cheer and a mantra for us, and it's super satisfying that we repeat it so often and we encourage that so often to like keep trying, keep doing it over and over again, don't give up. And then you see them doing something and they're like chanting it to themselves. And that's super rewarding. But I think it's be just, we teach it by continuing to talk about it and point out those moments where they can push themselves past where 
they think that they they could get like they have to keep going in order to accomplish something. I guess I've seen Matthew specifically several times. I've seen him do things that he just determined he was going to do and that I feel like were amazing. I'm like, wow, that was really amazing, Matthew. And like, he just was determined he was going to get there. And I think (laughs) super cool. I feel like you've cultivated that also in him, but I I wonder if he like got it from you, if there's some genetics that are helping him on that. (laughs) No, we'll, we'll find out later, but true. But still, I think that, you can definitely see that in in at least moments I've spent with them that I'm like, wow, like it's they are cultivating that in their lives. I know you were a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints growing up, but in your youth, you spent a lot of time at other faiths and churches. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I think it actually ties into a lot of the, the messed up family relationships that that we had because I was I was, you know, born with like two parents who were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we grew up going to church, and that's that's what we did. Um, and there was also, and there were spiritual experiences that I had growing up. There are like three or four where I knew I, I went from not believing that God existed because of all these bad things that were happening in life, and like wondering if God was there because if he was there, wouldn't he care about my family? And if he cared about our family, wouldn't things be different? And so I I questioned if God was there in the first place. And I remember I was in like a primary class and the teacher, I don't remember how old I was. I was probably like nine, maybe, something like that. And the teacher went around and asked everybody to answer the question, how do you know that God exists? And how do you know God loves you? And all these kids were like saying ways they knew God loved them. And it came to me and I was like, I don't. And I said that. And this awesome, awesome teacher, so incredible. She invited me to go home and pray and ask God if he was there and if he loved me. And that is the first like real spiritual experience I think I ever had in my life where I I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was at home, I was laying in my bed and I was saying this prayer in my mind and asking God, like, are you there? And I felt something for the, that I've never felt that I'd never felt before. And now I know like that was, that was the Holy ghost. That was the spirit. And I felt it. And then I asked like, do you know what's going on in our family? Do you do you care about me? And it was this like resounding feeling of yes, where it like started in my chest and kind of like swelled a little bit. And I never forgot that. And then later on, I in in life, like light everything had hit the fan with our family. And I didn't want to go to church because my family was going to be at church. Like my brother and I were kind of away from my mom and dad. And if we went to church, that meant I would see my dad didn't want that. I kind of cut ties at 14 and never really had a relationship with him after that. And that was a big deterrent. I was like, yeah, like why go to that church? But I knew that God existed and I knew that he loved me. And so I would go to like youth group with my friends at school. And I would like, just, I, I always had this hunger 
for spiritual things, but I didn't want to go to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because either my family was there or people who knew my family in our situation. And I was kind of like, I felt shame about all of that. So I tried to find other alternatives and I thought about it really logically thinking like, okay, like here's this story of, you know, how God established his church and well, maybe the Catholic church has it. Maybe this other church has it. Like, what do I really believe? And there was a point where I I fell in love with the missionaries in our area. They would just like come and hang out with my brother and I, and we built this really strong relationship. And um, they like invited me to go to uh, EFY. This like, I don't know how many days, like three days or five days um, camp. And I went there specifically with the question of trying to know, like, was Joseph Smith a prophet? Because that to me was the answer that I, I had been trying to figure out was, did we have prophets again? And was this like God's, God's church that he brought back to the earth? Um, And I had been, the missionaries had like, they talk about it all the time. They like invite you to figure it out and to pray and like find your own answer. And I was doing this and I was doing all the things that I thought I should be to get an answer. And it was just like, I'm not getting anything. Like I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm studying the scriptures, I'm living right. And I'm sincerely wanting to know, did God call this man to be a prophet? And I I wasn't getting anything. And I remember remember like EFY was like my last ditch effort. It was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to immerse myself in this stuff. And I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. And if I don't get an answer, I'll find, I'll find the right church. I'll figure it out. And at EFY, I had like the most spiritual experience of my life. Um, asking and praying if just Smith was a prophet and those same feelings that I had, like when I was a nine-year-old asking if God knew me and loved me, it was like that on just a much, much grander scale, that same feeling. And God knows us so well. He gave me the, the feelings that I needed that I recognized from previously in life. And that just was a game changer for me. It, it really course corrected my life in a big, in a big way, or like set, set me up spiritually to move forward in, in life. You also said that there was another, so there were three, were there three significant experiences in that time period? Or was that like the second? Oh, then like, yeah. So I think like that was probably, that was the second one. And then there was a, a time after that where I was reading in the New Testament and I'd been read, trying to read the New Testament all the way through. And I was reading in Luke about Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane and reading about his suffering and atonement and praying and asking, like, did this really happen? Did it happen as this says it did? Like, And 
it, again, it was like those same types of feelings that it was the, so similar to what I had knowing God existed and knowing that Joseph Smith was a prophet that like, I knew that Jesus Christ went through those things. It was like the perfect mix of the two experiences I had had previously. And those three experiences were just pillars for me throughout my life and still are today. I, I think I kind of thought for a long time that that, that feeling that I had, that that was the only like way to f- that the spirit manifested itself. And so I think I actually missed a lot of spiritual opportunities that God was putting in my path because I like boxed it in that if I'm not feeling this one feeling, it's not the spirit. Um, so I think I missed a lot that I could have could have capitalized on. But those three were kind of the main pillars and have been ever since. And how did your missionary service influence the rest of your life as well? Oh, Tracy, I love my mission. Gosh, I could talk about my mission for way way longer than I think we we have. It was a completely life-changing experience for me. I feel like I changed and became a totally different person during those 2 years. Like absolutely for the better. Like I saw miracles. I saw the hand of God so clearly that it changed it changed me. And for the first time in my life, I learned a few things. I learned how to love people because I was able to feel a little bit of what the Savior felt for these people. And it caused me to love in ways that I had never felt before. And I didn't think that I was capable of loving in that way. I learned to like hear God's voice and like the different tones of his voice. I learned that I could really communicate with him and that he could very clearly give me direction very, very vividly. And I learned about repentance and forgiveness and going through that process changed every part about who I am. And being a missionary is such a unique time because you dedicate every moment of your life to serving the Lord. And that commitment just ran really deep for me where I, when I left my mission, I was so sad. I didn't, I did not want to stop being a missionary. And from that moment on, like my greatest desire was to go be a missionary again. And I think it's because for better or worse, I felt the closest to God during those two years. And like the six months after was also very similar to my mission experience, but I never felt that close. I haven't felt as close to God as I have as a missionary and like right after my mission. And every day I like strive to be like I was as a missionary because I want that again. And I think that's the definition of like, it has influenced my life forevermore because I'm always striving to feel and do and be what I was, you know, when I was 19, 20 years old. Wow. Can you think or recollect of an experience on the mission that stands out as especially significant? I experienced so, so many miracles 
that like I really feel like I feel like my mission could have been a chapter in the Book of Mormon or in the New Testament, and it could be scripture. There was one that was really significant right when I started my mission. And this was more me being a witness of miracles. So I served in the Colorado Springs mission, and I was always in Kansas. I served in Garden City, Kansas, and Liberal, Kansas. And I was in Garden City for like 18 months. And the so I come in, in as a missionary, and I get sent out to Kansas. And I have these two zone leaders, um, Elder Chaparro and Elder Bagley. And they're teaching this super like awesome young couple, Jose and Audra Aldaco. And, you know, they, the, the two, they had like this rough, rough, like experience. They like were gangsters, things like that, but they were just so in love, so in love. And the missionaries were teaching them. They were trying to decide to be baptized. And they told the missionaries we have wanted children for a long time and the doctors have told us it is impossible. We will never have children. And that breaks, breaks our heart. And while they were meeting with the missionaries, Elder Chaparro had this thought come into his head to like promise them in the name of Jesus Christ, that if they keep, if they get baptized and keep their baptismal covenants, they will uh, be blessed with the child. And he's like, it was so vivid in his mind. He like looked at his companion and like, I'm just going to do this. And so he promised them in the name of Jesus Christ, that if they did these things and kept these commitments, that they would be blessed with a child. He felt so strongly that it was God's promise to them. And all of them like felt like this witness of the spirit testifying to them. And so after that meeting, they walk out, they come to ward council and there's two missionary companionships. There's us, Elder Chaparro and Elder Bagley and the entire ward council. And they walk in and they're like 10 minutes late. And like, so sorry. We just had this, this, le- this lesson and we need to tell you guys about it. And so they explain this promise that they just gave me like, this is impossible. Like we need to pray. We need everyone's faith because we, we just made this this commitment. And so we all like knelt down in the bishop's office and there were like 10 people in that room. And we just prayed that God would fulfill this miracle that was promised. And that next weekend they got baptized and nine months and like two weeks or something, we we're blessing their baby in sacrament meeting. And I will never forget the feelings that I had when they came in and they described this is what we felt. This is what we promised. We promised it in the name of the Lord. And we believe that it will be fulfilled, but we need, we need help because this, this is just, it should be impossible. And I wish that everybody had that type of experience where God promised them that they would have children because not everybody has this miracle in particular, but this was Jose and Audra's miracle. And it was a very real one. And that instilled in me a belief in miracles that changed my entire mission. I'm so glad that that happened right at the beginning. Because from that moment on, I believed that there was nothing that God couldn't do. And so my mission was just a series of miracles over and over and over again of us 
promising things that came into our minds and trusting and expecting that God would deliver on it. And he did. This is so interesting because I'm sitting here thinking to myself, wow, I'm having revelation, right? As I'm sitting here listening to this, it's not words you're saying per se, but it's like what God is saying to me through what you're saying. And and I think that is so significant, right? In, in any of our lives, like if we're listening to things, like we have to listen to the inner voice that's speaking to us and telling us the Holy Ghost, that's telling us our own little bit of revelation from whatever somebody else is saying. I've had a real desire to share people's missionary stories. So I'm so grateful that you shared that part of your experience. And it reminds me of a book that I've been reading with David called Drawing Upon the Powers of Heaven. Have you heard of that? Oh my goodness. That is my favorite of all favorite books. So, so good. I came home from being a missionary and my brother like gave me this book, Drawing on the Powers of Heaven. And he's like, you have to read this. He's like, it describes everything that you and I have ever talked about that we learned on our missions. And it is like exactly what I learned as a missionary just through experiencing it. Such a good book. Yeah. And the part that stuck out to me is in that book, he he, spe- he specifies right from the beginning, from chapter one, is that whatever you believe is possible is possible with God. Everything you believe is possible. And if you believe it, then it's possible. And if you don't believe it, then that's the result you'll also get. So he basically teaches you that the power. So he talks about faith and then the collective faith creates the power. And so what am I not accessing? What power am I leaving out of the equation? Because I'm not really believing because I don't really believe that God can do what he can absolutely do. My favorite scripture, it's not actually like a scripture. It's in the Bible dictionary. And I think it's under miracles, but it says if the greatest miracle of all was that Christ rose on the third day. And if that be accepted, all other miracles cease to be improbable. And like if Jesus Christ rose from the dead and overcame death, nothing is improbable. Anything can be done. And there's that element of expecting in faith. It's a different type of faith to have expecting faith. There's belief, but if you expect something to happen and you're also comfortable where if it doesn't happen, that's God's will. So we move forward. That type of faith is what moves mountains. That's what makes miracles happen. How have you used the principles of expectant faith in the pursuits in your business? Yeah, I think that I think there's no real difference between using it in spiritual things and in like the secular experiences. God cares about our spiritual welfare. He also cares about our temporal welfare. He cares about our relationships with friends and family. Um, And faith, like that expecting faith can be in anything. Like he wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. And so there, let me kind of retrace this line of thinking. So I also think Almost every good thing that happens to me, I believe that that comes from God. And I acknowledge that. And so 
I think to a degree, expecting faith for me is like at work in like all the, any successes that I've had in work, I believe have been a result of expecting faith. And there have also been times where I know I haven't had expecting faith. And it's like, okay, I'm doing this just by myself and it feels different. But those times when I'm like praying and I'm asking God for help and I'm ex- I truly expect that he's going to deliver something, like whenever it actually happens, I feel this witness that it is because of a combination of faith and God's will and like him just giving me grace and blessings. As you talked about specifically how your, how it pivots towards the business or the secular world, I was reminded of the scripture that like pray over your flocks that they may prosper and how there are, you know, all these things in our life literally are there to help us to God wants to bless us in all things, right? And so I'm I'm grateful that you reminded me that he wants to bless us in all aspects of our life, not just in one area. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and sort of the the steps you've taken to get where you are, where you're actually a CEO of your own business that you've started. And I watched you because I worked with you at Prosper Healthcare Lending and you were in the sales team right next door to the customer success team. And you were the connection that got me into Prosper Healthcare Lending. What have you learned through the process of selling? Because I remember talking to you and you're like, I listen to these CDs or these audiobooks every day on my way to work. And you were hungry, like so hungry and so willing to work and so willing to put in the effort to gain a skill. So what did you do to develop those skills and what would you say to somebody else who feels like they don't have skills, but they have this hunger to develop them? Yeah, I think if you have real hunger and motivation, you can accomplish almost anything. And so breaking this up, things that I did, I was probably very obsessive about going like really deep and getting good at mastering sales. when. I was starting at like American American Healthcare Lending back in like 2012. I was just super, super hungry. I wanted to sell. I wanted to get good at it. I enjoyed it. And there was one day that I came across this like YouTube video of this sales trainer. And I was in awe of it. And I watched it probably like five or six times like every single day and just tried to break it down. And then I saw he had this like audio program. It was literally like these CDs of an audio book and he charged $800 for it. And like now you can get it on Audible like for free. But back then I paid like $800 for it and I listened to it every day. I was just like, I would role play in the car. I would role play like the first thing when I would get to work, I would just study this stuff. I bought the book, I bought the audio program, and it was just this daily immersion. And I started like repeating things so often that I would use them that day at work. I would have success and it literally made me money that same day. And so then I got another audio program and eventually I like 
paid like five thousand dollars for like their like his digital like sales university and literally i've been paying for it ever since then i've been paying for it for almost 10 years even though i don't use it like i did in the beginning of my career because it it was just so impactful for me and every day i would probably i would do sales training probably for like if not an hour like two hours is like every waking minute that i wasn't working i was like doing sales training and on weekends i would be role playing and like there was a period where like i'd take people from work who were i was training and like hey do you want to do a saturday training session and we would role play on saturdays and it was it was like an all consuming thing every everything every waking moment outside of work i was training in sales and trying to get good at it and you did i did <laughs> i did <laughs> and as a result of having that skill what advice do you have for people who struggle with ambition? Ooh. That, this, this is probably going to be a very controversial statement. And I don't know to what degree I believe it as it's coming out of my mouth. But I wonder if ambition, like ambition, I think, is a function of motivation. Like if you there has to be something that you care deeply about that motivates you to want to do something. And that might be sales that that could be, you know, running that that could be anything, there has to be some level of motivation to make you ambitious. I don't know how to give somebody ambition, or yeah, I don't know. I think that's actually a good answer in regards that it's a question of motives, like going back to your motives to say, why are you not ambitious for this particular thing? And when have you maybe shown motivation for something else in your life? I want to think further on that too. Even myself, I don't, I didn't have an answer to that question. I was just thinking. Uh, Cause I feel like a lot of my ambition in life, I've probably had a, I've probably had a bad relationship with desiring money <laughs> and like wanting to be financially successful. I think for a lot of really good reasons, I want to use finances to do a lot of good in the world. You know, I want, wanted something totally different from what I had growing up. And I wanted to provide something different for my family than what I had growing up. And then there was a part of me that wanted to be the best at things and wanted to feel like I was winning and money and things was a really easy benchmark. There are a lot of things that are way more important that are harder to like quantify. But money was something that I always kind of desired. And I think it came from not having it and wanting to provide things that were different than what I had growing up. Right. So that was your motivation. Yeah. Yeah. And it fueled your ambition. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And what is something that people can do right now to improve their life? And what is something people can stop doing right now to improve their life? According to you. Yeah. According to me. I think I think one of the most important things that people can do in life is like learning and developing themselves like personally. And I think this could be professional, this could be spiritual, this could be like with relationships, but if people can really dedicate themselves to learning and growing and developing themselves, I think that will fuel 
so much into their life that will give ambition, that will give motivation, that will get them excited about what they're doing or what they want to do. So I think just chasing learning and development is probably the most important thing that I think people could do and pick the area in your life that you want to improve or work on and go set goals that get you excited and then chase those goals. And things that people should stop doing, like cut out social media, uh, don't listen to the news, just focus on the things that actually are causing you to do real things in the world that will either produce something or cause you to learn and grow. So get rid of all the stuff that doesn't get rid of toxic relationships, get rid of social media, get rid of all the news and the the filth and things that occupy and bring negativity into our, into our minds. And what do you do on your commute? I see drive time as learning time. And so there are kind of two things. I probably do this too much where I fill every moment with something that I'm learning or listening to, whether it's a an audiobook or like a podcast or a talk by somebody. I probably do it too much, but I see drive time as learning and developing time. And what would you say has had the greatest impact for good in your overall life? And why is that? Oh, absolutely. My time as a missionary. Absolutely. Because it taught me to really commit and to look to the Lord in like all things and just to recognize his hand and be grateful to him for everything that he's he's done for me. Even in the even in the hard times, like his hand is there. And my mission was a life-changing experience for me. Hey, I have one other question that just is popping into my head that doesn't really flow, but that's okay. Yeah. The question is, when people are coming in to be interviewed or to come in as a, a potential candidate for a job, what do you feel like that person can do to really stand out and be different? It really comes down to like that, that hunger and ambition and drive. Like if somebody can actually come in and show that they, ha- they have this incredible work ethic, they're extremely curious, they're they they prioritize like learning and development over things that everyone else is caring about if they can show real real apparent ways that they have done that already that makes it a really easy interview and hiring experience excellent be specific about how you have moved the needle and other things as well i feel like catherine taught me that actually through when she coached me in some of my interviewing skills, she always said, how can you quantify that? How can we make that so that it shows the impact that you had on the job? And I don't think it necessarily has to be like, oh, this is this quantifiable thing that I've done. Right. Like, If you went through like a hard experience in life and you can show this is what I learned from it. This is how I it's I've made decisions based on that learning that I've had. And this is how it's impacted my my life or whatever it would impact. Like those are the the moments that really stand out where people have learned through hardship. Like the people who come in and they've just had everything go their way always and 
they haven't really been tested to a degree, those people don't make good employees. At least, at least as a, in a startup. Tenacity, grit. Yeah. Tell us how people can get a hold of you. Email me at shane at boostly.com. If they want to learn about Boostly, uh, go to boostly.com and there'll be information there, ways to get more information. And I know that you help restaurants, of course, stay in communication, help people incentivize them to come back in and buy more food, correct? Is this true? Basically, that's what Boostly does. And do you have any favorite restaurants that are your go-tos in your... I know you're not a foodie. You're not a foodie, Shane. Or do people know this? I probably shouldn't rat you out on this. Oh, no, th- this this is true. I am not I am not a foodie. Like today, it's the first time in my life that I've had Alfredo sauce on pizza. And it's the first time I've ever done that. <laughs> but yeah, I know. Like, it's, it's odd. But Medici pizza... That is like my my all-time favorite. I love Medici Neapolitan pizza. I also love ice cream. It's not necessarily like a restaurant, but like I could probably live in Coldstone and be, be happy. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Medici's sweet and spicy is my favorite. They oh yeah honey and then they do the like spicy sausage and yeah it's amazing with like mar- mascarpone or whatever it is just so <laughs> <laughs> everyone we just like medici's sponsored this podcast just kidding they didn't but hey medici's are here for you so all right well shane thank you so much for coming on and let us be more gritty in our lives thanks for inspiring me yeah thanks for having me